What's up from Burbank, California? Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Write That Down on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com, staff writer, F4W Wrestling, ObserverOnline.com. I also work for Pro Wrestling Noah, and I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, and broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito, as always. This week, we focus on the dragon, Tatsumi Fujinami, one of the most important junior heavyweights in pro wrestling history. The man that brought the tope from Mexico to Japan and from his junior heavyweight career into his storied and very unique and interesting heavyweight career as the star he became the dragon himself Tatsumi Fujinami if you have not already please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed on Spotify Apple, wherever you usually listen to your podcast, please, it helps us out very much. All right, let's get into the dragon, Tatsumi Fujinami. Tatsumi Fujinami, yes, just had his 50th year anniversary show against today's superstar legend, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Hmm. It's like, wow, it's like, it's kind of like Ric Flair wrestling. Like today's superstar, who would that be? Hiroshi Tanahashi against somebody like Seth Rollins or uh, Roman Reigns or uh, or John Cena. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, Tanahashi always said that Fujinami was one of his number one kind of idols or or favorite wrestlers or people he looked after. Yeah, Someone he wanted to be and... like. Yeah, because probably Anthony Inoki is kind of almost too far away, right? Like mm. as, I mean, old enough to be his father. But the Fujinami was somebody that he grew up watching on Channel 10, TV Asahi, Friday night, primetime wrestling, I mean, all, all his childhood. Yeah. And you, I feel like they have similar uh, attitudes when they're in the ring. They're always a baby face. Always baby thing. face. Never seen them heal. And uh, not well, once Tanahashi did his thing, but it was a different time, so that's a different. Sure. But but the, in general, that that pure we call it white bread, white meat, yeah, baby face. Oh yeah, yeah. And also bread and butter, we call it, because he never had fancy costume. Always has short trunks. That's right. Nothing, no nothing written on it. Just black trunks, black wrestling shoes. Jack ring jacket, you know, like a fancy ring jacket or pink jacket or silver jacket, other things. But in ring, always had this black short trunks, not even the knee pads, you know. All business. Boots. Yeah, yeah. And uh, never permed his hair. He always had this Fujinami hairdo. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the the swoopy do. Uh, he he looked like he was. Antonio Inoki's little yeah, brother, like little a mini brother. Inoki or lower case Inoki or something, right? Sure. I mean, it was all this. <laughs> they had a lot of the. It's it's interesting because they had a lot of the same characteristics, but they were very different at the same time. It's just um, no nonsense yeah, in the ring. Like same look. Wrestler, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, New Japan was a type of company. Oh, they're all through fifty-year history that a lot of wrestlers come and go, right? 
you know, that the Ricky Chosu's faction, that the Masa Saito era, that, you know, like people like Killer Khan, the, like Rasha Kimura, Elmo Hamaguchi, the international, you know, that uh, Japanese heel faction thing and uh, other things, you know, like a strong machine, super strong machine, or UWF guys, Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara, you know, the different faction that the, they were there, but they left. They came back and left again. And but the Fujinami was always there, right next to Inoki. That's something, right? It, and it, it changed. We'll talk about it later. But it, it changed when uh, when Fujinami hurt his knee, and right yeah, before yeah, yeah. Inoki came out, they, that that relationship is a, a, a defining one. I think. Yeah, in, yeah. In Fujinami's uh, career. Fujinami became a heavyweight IWGP champion, mm-hmm. and also he became his own man. Yeah. Yeah. But he he followed in the footsteps, but thing but things changed. It's not it's not exactly the same as Noki's past. Right. But... Let's yeah rewind the tape like all the way back to where he started. Mm-hmm. Well, he was born in 1953, and he right now he's 68, and his birthday is December 28th. So he turned 69 this year. You know, oh, wow, and he still yeah, looks. I mean, he doesn't look really, yeah, 69. not bad though. Yeah, yeah, and also he's been wrestling since he was age seventeen. So majority of his life he's spent wrestling. Yeah, and he was born in Oita Prefecture, and he he's there was a wrestling in his like nearby, but the, some thirty forty miles away from his home, he took bicycle, you know, to the show and met with. Uh, uh, Motoyuki Kitazawa, that the uh, Inoki's right hand man, that the met him like a like ninth grader, Fujinami, you know, told the, you know Kitazawa that I want to be a wrestler. Well, come to Tokyo. There's no way from Oita to for this ninth grader to come to Tokyo, right? And uh, yeah, but he, uh, that, I want to be a wrestler. They just you know, had to go to the show and tell somebody that he was going to be a wrestler when he was 15. Was anybody uh, other than Inoki, was he inspired by anybody else when he was growing up? Because, you know, he started out as a junior, so he had to develop a sort of different different approach, different style when yeah, he started well, the, out. Yeah, the, the, he was a young lion before there was a young, you know, term young lion. Well, actually, Fujinami debuted with Japan Pro Wrestling, Nippon Pro Wrestling, mm. not New Japan. That, uh, of course, Inoki was still there. In 1971, May 9th, to be exact, when he was 17. The very first match was against Motoyuki Kitazawa, where he met, you know, Inoki's right-hand man. See, Inoki, it was like a, it's up to debate, but uh, December of 1971, Inoki was, was either fired by Nippon Pro Wrestling or he walked out. He was going to change the company, look into the, you know, the bookkeeping and something was, was wrong and he was going to change the company. Instead, Yoshino Sato... Uh, fired him or something. You know what I'm saying? That uh, all in all, Antonio Inoki formed New Japan Pro Wrestling March of 1972. And Inoki initially had only four wrestlers. Four. Antonio Inoki, Kotetsu Yamamoto, Osamu Kido, and 17-year-old Fujinami. Then uh, two wrestlers, you know, who was traveling in Mexico at the time, but, uh, I said Motoyuki Kitazawa and Katsuhisa Shibata. Katsuhisa Shibata is a father of Katsuyori Shibata. That's right. He, was, so, uh, he would wrestlers. become a, a pretty regular New Japan referee for years. 
Yeah, he retired early and, and became re- referee. But uh, started out four wrestler, two wrestlers from Japan, you know, Nippon Pro Wrestling came back and joined Inoki. That was Inoki's guys. So Kitazawa and Shibata. So six guys all together. It was like a small office in the same Noge Dojo that they have still to this day. That was Inoki's house. Hmm. That the first thing Inoki did is to, you know, to build the gym, build building the dojo on his land, you know, like a, on the front yard, you know, of his house. That the way he was living with Mitsuko Baisho, the famous actress at the time, hmm. and uh, he fixed his house. They made it into dojo and and the, the house where all the young young talent could, could join. You know, pretty soon people like. You know, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, the, the Kuniaki Kobayashi, or, you know, Satoru Sayama, all these people come in. Don Arakawa, Masanobu Chris, uh, that the, all these people start coming in and, to, you know, try out. Oh, I mean, it's off the track, but, the, you know, people like, you know, Seki, uh, that uh, Tetsuo Sekigawa or uh, Hamada later on becomes Grand Hamada and uh, Tetsu, uh, Sekigawa becomes Mr. Pogo later on. Isn't that interesting? Even all these people, Masakazu Funaki. Oh, no, the, Masakatsu Funaki doesn't come in till 84. Oh, we're talking about right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not just in general. Okay, so yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, only had six wrestlers, and all these, tra- you know, trying, you know, like a 25-year-old Fujiwara wanted to become a wrestler and then joined. 16-year-old Kuniaki Kobayashi come in and, you know, he became, a, you know, like a dojo trainee. And... uh People like uh, Masanobu Chris, uh, that uh, Don Arakawa, that uh, all retired, and it was, some of them are gone now. But the very beginning of New Japan Pro Wrestling, that the first thing Inoki did was to build dojo in his ho- his home. Then Karl Gotch come in and start training younger guys. You know. Then of course Fujinami was like Karl Gotch's favorite student. Oh, yeah, Masakatsu Funaki, the Ma- Akira Maeda, the uh, Nobuhiko Takara, they don't come in until 80s. Right, no. later on. Yeah. But uh, Grand Hamada and Mr. Pogo was a New Japan student, too. Isn't that weird? You wouldn't expect it, but that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what, what Inoki did very first was to build, build a dojo. You know, I wanted to start New Japan pro, pro wrestling from the scratch. And people didn't expect Fujinami to be a big star later on, this skinny 17-year-old rookie, you know? Like, he's basically carrying Inoki's suitcase. Right. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Yeah. So, so he re-debuted with New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, when he was 17. He had red trunks and red wrestling boots. He was already throwing pretty mean dropkick when he was 18. Pretty high-energy wrestler. Yeah, yeah, because um, when I went to watch, when I was like fifth grade, you know, I went to watch Inoki against Karogach single match. Mm-hmm. Fujinami was on like a second match. Yeah. Do you remember who he wrestled? God, I wish I did. But he was uh, already uh, the, the, like a, like a American, you know, the, the American wrestler. So, so he got beat. Yeah. And the uh, second time I saw him was the following year. Um, I was sixth grade. Inoki Sakaguchi against Korogachi and Luthes tag match, historical mm-hmm. tag match. Yeah. And Fujinami worked a single match and younger guys battle royal. Yeah. And he was the last person uh, on the battle royal. Young Kengo Kimura backslided him and got, you know, the Fujinami got pinned. That's how I remember. 
<laughs> Anyhow, uh, there was a such thing as Korgach Cup, um, much like your Young Lion in a tournament. This, you know, uh, do they have Young Lion tournament still? Yeah, they're still doing it. Uh, I, I don't yeah, okay. think they did it uh, this, this year. But they've done it recently. They do do it. Right, right. So before there was Young Lion Cup, there was a Korgach Cup. And very first Korogach Cup was uh, December, actually today, December 8th, 1974. The finalist of first inaugural, the first annual Korogach Cup was Fujinami, young Tatsumi Fujinami against Masashi Ozawa. You know who Masashi o- Ozawa was? No, tell me, who was Mr. Ozawa? Killer Khan later on. Ah. Is that interesting? Did he look the same? Was he? Did he have the size? Ah, uh, did didn't he have, have the hairdo. Okay. He's just a big, big former sumo guy. Yeah, I mean, it was huge for Japanese rookie, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, before he was Killer Khan, he was Masashi Ozawa, and that was Ozawa against young twenty-one-year-old Fujinami was the was the final of first annual Korgach Cup. Mm-hmm. He won the tournament. When you turn, you know, it's much like your your young lions cup, you know, young young lions tournament later on. That when you win the rookies tournament, what we'll be doing is that you will be sent to overseas. Yeah. So, and, and I was going to ask, when did he? Because I know they sent him over to Mexico for a little bit. He, he, first, he went to Europe. Okay, he went to Europe yeah. first. Where all over yeah. Europe, UK, um, Germany, yeah, oh, oh, Germany and Austria. Uh, Austria you know, mm. like where they have Arovans. Arovans like, and the person before that, um, Arovans bought that from like you know, like Nicholas Selenkovich or some European, you know, like a group of promoters in europe they have sets of tournament like a you know like a september tournament october tournament mm. november tournament from bremen to hanover to uh yeah you know this austria city and and in, in, in the german west germany then german cities you know you sit they're like a circus tent you have the 30-day tournament in the same place every day and wrestlers are uh staying in in, in a trailer or something you know the, the camp you know parked right next to the tent that kind of thing and uh he spent you know his you know fall to winter in 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 west germany then west germany and austria uh and uh yeah he obviously trained and he then then he was sent to mexico yeah and there was like a young fujinami uh ring ring fujinami then that uh, against young connect you know was a very famous series of match you know then he was sent to florida of course you spent time with korogachi right from florida went to north carolina and then and, and just he pretty much worked Florida and North Carolina and a little bit in Los Angeles, you know, Mike LaBelle territory, then back to Mexico. And he actually spent like three years, 75, 76, 77. Yeah. And then January of 1978 at the Madison Square Garden, January 23rd of 1978, he beat Jose Estrada to become WWF Junior Heavyweight Champion. Mm. That's like a Cinderella story starts there. And that belt, that title, that WWF title, it's kind of what you think of 
you think of Tatsumi Fujinami when you bring it up because he's the one who's most synonymous with it. Yeah, then that was a very interesting time. That the, that was the same, you know, same time that the Bob Backlund beat Superstar Billy Graham to become WWE Heavyweight Champion, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like a brand new era. Yeah, and uh, he, he would also start to show up at Madison Square Garden. And yeah, just like every other matches. month. Yeah, yeah he mm-hmm. was to, to quite defend regular. His title. Yeah, pretty regular. For WWF. And also WWF, yeah, at the time. And that really made this business partnership between New York, Vince McMahon Sr. and Anthony Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling made this business partnership even tighter. When did people start calling Tatsumi Fujinami the dragon? Dragon? Right around the same, right around this time. So, in like a Bruce, Bruce Lee era. Mm. And uh, his new finish was called Dragon Suplex, which was topped by Karl Gotch the previous year. That uh, It's very similar to German Suplex, but it was Fall Nelson. But some wrestlers do it today, too. But the Fall Nelson into Suplex. You know, it's very dangerous, but uh, if you do it perfectly, it's beautiful. Mm. <clears throat> so it was uh, that the... When a star is born, this is almost like a Cinderella story that uh, you have your signature original finishing maneuver. For Fujinami, it was Dragon Suplex that the Fall Nelson style German Suplex hold. And he won the title in New York City. It was televised in Japan, right from Madison Square Garden. It's like a same. Friday night, New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, TBS TV show, but it was like, all of a sudden, a film came in from America, and a good 20-minute segment of the show, it's from New York City, it's the Tatsumi Fujinami, the Dragon Fujinami, oh, he, actually, he had the name Dragon Fujinami in Mexico, too. Mm. Yeah. So, but the, uh, this New York sensational debut to become WWF Junior Heavyweight Champion was like so big in Japan that uh, he, he came back as a star. 24-year-old Fujinami, you know, just almost like overnight sensation. But it's not like he, he was put in position. He he was ready to you know to be in that position. Such a good wrestler, right? He was believable, and I mean, he 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 looked the part. He he acted the part. He that's what. I think a lot of people would expect. Yeah, from... and also at the time, when you are, if you are starting pro wrestling, it's basically your heavyweight guy, huh? But That's they right. really introduced the fact that there is another division, junior heavyweight division, and it made this, you know, almost like a, a New Japan pro wrestling in the two different cluster, right? Uh, eight o'clock, you know, when you, when you turn the TV, eight o'clock, usually Fujinami comes in first. Then like in 8.30, Inoki comes out, you know, uh, to be the main event. So it was like, uh, you watch, actually you watch Fujinami before you watch Inoki. And uh, yeah, it was like that. And Junior Heavyweight Division gave a lot of, you know, uh, like uh, male young wrestling fans in Japan that the, I want to, I want to do, I want to, I want to do that. It's like people like Liger, people like Ultimo Dragon, you know, all these people watch Fujinami, and there's a chance that the, you be wrestler too. You don't have to be 250 pound guy to be mm-hmm. a wrestler. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think Fujinami early on really put an emphasis on athleticism and um, oh, yeah, this separated. is a junior heavyweight, you yeah. know, version of Fujinami was like no fat in his body whatsoever. He looks like not exactly bodybuilder, but so lean and muscly, but it's fast, you know, and, and kind of reckless at times. In, in, in I mean that uh, as a compliment about how mm-hmm. fearless he was uh, to just go through the ropes onto the floor or. Uh, that's Pope, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, Fujinami was the one who introduced Tope into Japanese market. He was the one. He was the f- wow. First that's, one. Uh, that's well. I mean, you think about it, you see a Tope on almost every show now. Yeah, or like a WWE wrestler, like a Seth Rollins, or yeah, anybody, they do anywhere. That. Yeah, 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 or AEW, you know. Am, uh, not Amber, I was going to say, but John Moxley does that. And uh, every single Japanese superstar in different com- you know, different company, they all do that. It's, uh, n- now it's Tope from Mexico. Or, like a, or even uh, people like Bret Hart, you know, were doing that in his days, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Tope, but the, when, when Fujinami introduced Tope in Japanese market, and he was the first person, it was called Dragon Rocket. Dragon Rocket, that's right. Yeah, yeah Dragon Rocket. That's like a whoa, right? You, know, you dive onto people like Kanak or uh, um, Peragayo or, or even did that to heavyweight Ivan Kolov or against Chavo Guerrero series of matches. And Chavo Guerrero Sr., Chavo Guerrero Classic was his big rival in junior heavyweight division. Hmm. Anyway, that uh, 78, 79, 80 into 81. So he had a long three-year run as junior heavyweight champion yeah and from 81 what when was tiger 80- mask comes up you know ah, what okay I mean? uh, things yeah, change from there yeah 81 with the summer of 81 it was you know satoru sayama the original tiger mask era begins and it all, then it will be tiger mask against dynamite kid right the best matches but actually Dynamite Kid had the program. Like Dynamite Kid had young Dynamite Kid, then like a 23-year-old Dynamite Kid had series of matches against junior heavyweight champion Tatsumi Fujinami before he he had those series of matches against Tiger Mask. Mm. There are videos. Yeah. People really should go out of their way to to watch those. Especially young if, Fujinami against young Dynamite Kid. Junior especially Hidden. if you're if you're a big fan of of Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask matches. I mean, this this is the 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 prototype for that rivalry. Yeah, yeah. Before Tiger Mask era, well, not that Fujinami was doing what Tiger Mask would do. No, you know, like a move wise, but more. Of a, but the pace, like, the the intensity. Yeah, Fujinami was a more of a like a Korogach style wrestler. Like you have a great mat wrestling and dynamic, you know, some drop kick and topes and other things. But uh, yeah, Fujinami was the like a definition of Japanese style junior heavyweight. And also, the, the Fujinami and Dynamite Kid had their the, the, the part of the series of matches up in Calgary too. Mm. And this then already old Stu Hart said that was the best wrestling match I've ever seen. Oh, uh, of, of his six years in business, oh my gosh, right? And that covers a lot of ground. So yeah, the Fujinami of the 
late seventies, early eighties was something to see. And um, right, different. But the, when the, when Tiger Mask, you know, era started, he moved on to heavyweight division as of um, October of eighty one. Yeah, October so he, 81. yeah, October eighty one. He relinquished his junior heavyweight title, and now that the WWF junior heavyweight title goes on to Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, you know. That, that division. Then heavyweight uh, version of Fujinami era starts. So was he featured in singles bouts when he was first uh, yeah, heavyweight? Yeah, when, when he turned um, heavyweight, that was a time he would be having single match against like Andre the Giant. Ah, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And the single match against people like Dick Murdoch, single match against masked superstar Bill Eady, and those, yeah, like, obviously bigger than he is. But so he was more but like, like a, um, like more like a Ricky Steamboat type, smaller baby. Sure, face. yeah, yeah. And building yeah. him to you know, build up to that top position later yeah. on. Oh, before we forget, while he was junior heavyweight. We always talk about WWF Junior Heavyweight title, right? Mm -hmm. He also had the Junior Heavyweight title called NWA International Junior Heavyweight Champion Championship that the day brought in that the young Steve Kahn from Florida and had a Fujinami against young uh, that uh, Steve Kern be years before he was fabulous once. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, that's when NWA Florida, Eddie Graham and Hiro Matsuda opened a business relationship with New Japan. They switched sides. Previously, NWA Florida was working with Jan Baba's Old Japan, remember? Mm -hmm. And uh, Eddie Graham and Hiro Matsuda switched sides from Old Japan to New Japan and stopped bringing Florida wrestlers uh, into New Japan ring. That what uh, the, 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 what happens with American Dream Dusty Rhodes start coming to New Japan and has a series of single match against Inoki around that time. Hmm. Yeah. Anyhow, so he had two sets of junior heavyweight title when he was junior heavyweight. NWA International Junior Heavyweight Champion and also the, the WWF Junior Heavyweight title. Interesting, huh? Hmm. He, was a, he was a star, kind of just after those first couple of years, it was just from uh, top of the card to superstar. Yeah, but had a good three-year run as junior heavyweight champion. Then October of 1981, when Tiger Mask emerged, that he was a smaller but more like a veteran, you know, like a little bit more matured, you know, smaller but heavyweight division star. That means he had a single match against people like Inoki, Sakaguchi for the like Madison Square Garden tournament situation. A single match against Andre, like I said, Dick Murdoch, mass superstar. A little, little bit later on, Fujinami against Jimmy Snuka or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Then, um, 82, that, uh, the fall of 82, Ricky Choshu came back from Mexico with long hair you know, turn on Fujinami. Then uh, 82, 83, 84, they had this phenomenal single match program that the Fujinami against Riki Choshu. Yeah. That pretty much complemented each other. That made Riki Choshu big, big, huge star, but the Fujinami was there for him, sort of. Because people love underdogs, right? Mm -hmm. And also kind of knew to have complete Japanese heels. It also was a good opportunity to show this different side of 
Tatsumi Fujinami. We didn't see the... I mean, th some of these matches were pretty bloody. They wouldn't start for a long time because they'd be fighting around the ring. It was a very yeah. fiery, uh, uh, very intense version of Tatsumi Fujinami. Right, right. It, it shows the new side of Fujinami. Yes, mm. that, that's true. And also bringing, you know, Japanese heel faction. And like you have Riki Choshu, the, the Killer Khan, the Yoshiaki Yatsu, the, the Kuniaki Kobayashi, who was also Tiger Mask's rival. Um, Animal Hamaguchi joins. Isamu Teranishi is a pretty good sized heel faction. And the to make this thing so realistic, they never got on the New Japan Babyface bus again. You know, they had this block bus, you know, like a, for the, the faction that the Riki Choshu stopped, stopped wearing this New Japan, you know, tracksuit top and bottom that he had their own T-shirt. They had their own, you know, top and bottom jerseys. And uh, it was always staying in different hotel, always traveled separately, and always, you know, staying American wrestlers, you know, hotels and separated and they were ne they never shared the dressing room again and just super believable heel faction in Riki Choshu but you needed complete 100% babyface Fujinami in that picture does that make sense oh yeah i mean he was the perfect guy for that position yeah and the fujinami is like in his 50 year career Technically, it's a 51 year because he debuted 71, right? Mm -hmm. It's 2022, so it's actually 51 year already. Mm -hmm. You know, it's actually Yoshiaki Fujiwara's 50 years. <laughs> you know, and wow. it's like a sidetrack. But the Fu Fujiwara's debut match was against Fujinami, actually. You know, it's hard for me to envision. Yoshiaki Fujiwara as a young man because I feel like he's <laughs> he looked, looked like that though you know yeah. he, he's looked like uh, he looks now for a yeah, very long time when, when he was when he was younger too when he was and young also, he looks old just his look and then number one student of Korgach you know mm, mm. never complained yeah so he was a, also wrestler's wrestler because Fujinami is a good looking young guy you know and he was always like had a star look yeah very much so he looks like yeah. a movie star. Yeah. Like a Bruce Lee. But the, kind of this thing. long hair, Japanese heel, but the people loved him. That the Riki Choshu against Fujinami was really great. Actually, those the three year program, 82, 83, 84, that's when Inoki was like really slowing down too, actually. Mm. And took tour off here and tour off there. That the, if you remember that the, the 1983 first annual. IWGP tournament final, 29-year-old Hulk Hogan beat in Inoki for the final. Mm -hmm. And Inoki was hospitalized and all these things. In the program. It's hindsight that a lot of people say a lot of things about that. Inoki was never hurt. He just decided to lay there. But the, he actually was hurt in a lot of different places in his body, and he was slowing down. And, yeah, he um, Inoki couldn't carry this whole tour, you know, like a 200 dates a year, you know, Thing that the Riki Choshu and Fujinami became main event program. Mm. Yeah. So it's like things are like internal and external sometimes, you know, happen simultaneously. That the Inoki couldn't carry his single one man show main event in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Then Fuji, Fuji, you know, Fujinami and Riki Choshu was ready to be, be their main event. Yeah. Would you say that Choshu and Fujinami? had maybe the first big 
Japanese versus Japanese rivalry? I guess so because all Japan side that the Jumbo Tsuru against Tenru wouldn't happen until like 88, 89. You know what so, I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. A bit later. And yeah. And also, like, rewind the tape a little bit. Inoki against Strong Kobayashi, the Inoki mm -hmm. against Kintaro Oki. The, it's mm -hmm. like a one-time deal. You know what sure. I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not like all year long. Maybe Russia Kimura against Antonio Inoki. You know, was a perfect opponent. Although or those felt bit... like uh, like outsider versus uh, home right, team right, because uh, they were the stars from then defunct IWE company. Mm -hmm. You know, so it had a yeah. different. Um... It, it was still had like a like outsider invader feeling. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, very much so. But the Ricky Choshu, everybody knew that he went to Olympic in 72. He was golden rookie with New Japan, but didn't really hit it until this Fujinami. Until this, you know. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, um, yeah, it's like he was always there, you know, but it was just like it was his attitude that changed and he became like his own man. And he formed his own faction within New Japan Pro Wrestling. Later on, he walked out with this 15 different, you know, his, his 15 guys and moved to All Japan Pro Wrestling for two-year period. But uh, yes, uh, Riki Choshu was very special, like like a new type of Japanese heel. Yeah. Not really like heel, that. just being right, right. I mean, a little bit American against. Term, yeah, like establishment. Yeah. Rebel, a little bit rebellious. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so challenging Inoki and Fujinami and the company kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the perfect guys joined. You know, like people like Killer Khan. Yeah, it's like uh, he's a New Japan guy, but didn't fit. Went to America and came back. You know, Yoshi Akiyatsu. Or sometimes Masa Saito come back and join him. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Very perfect chemical. Animo Hamaguchi. Yeah. The, uh, the non-traditional, not guys that wear just the black trunks and black boots, not young lions. Oh, the costume, yeah. And also, uh, the, the, like people like Yoshiaki Yatsu had a Masa Saito costume, remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the knee tights with Japan on it, you know, and the Japanese flag on the side. Yeah, a lot of those and, guys went to the States. Yeah, and they wore that knee tights, we call them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even Ricky Choshu would wear those when he was in... In uh, America, he did. Yeah. Actually, he, was, he borrowed Masa's tights. <laughs> oh, in America, yeah, he didn't have one, and uh, Masa just let him use his. And uh, even today, uh, Masa Kitamiya still wears the same. Oh yeah, same type. exactly the same. Yeah, so when you went to America, you gotta have that uh, almost ugly knee tights. You know, it's almost and like the uniform, yeah. And barefooted sometimes, yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. And the previous generation, Umanosuke Ueda or somebody like that, mm. or Kim Dak, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, Riki Choshin was so modern and real long hair and does the first Japanese wrestler using clothesline, Riki Rariato, you know, for finish. Mm. Yeah. Big and tough I don't, compared yeah, to... I don't know how many times they did the, in, in, the, the Fujinami against Choshu, though, but uh, every time he was good. Well, they were doing it in, into their, uh, you know, 50s and 60s, I do remember. I'm in the... Until a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, just I, I think so even the, at yeah, the the, retirement, the, like Ricky Choshu's last last thing. So Fujinami against Choshu lasted over thirty year period. Oh mm. my gosh, 
Yes, when I was a kid, I did not understand that the, when you hear about the, in Detroit, they were doing the chic against Bobo Brazil for 30 years. How could a one match last 30 years, right? Hmm. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the chic, original chic against that one is against it, That one was the last of its kind, I think, though, that, that Bobo Brazil chic rivalry, the, something that yeah. lasted so but long. But think about Ric Flair against Dusty Rose or the Harley Race against Dusty Rose. You know, they did that for like a good 20-year period. Yeah, But the, those guys, they went around the States and had a, a tour of good shows. This, what was amazing about Sheik and Bobo Brazil was it was in the same, same place. city. It was the same, <laughs> yeah. and it was pretty weekly, too. I, I, Portland had a similar, uh, what yeah. is it, like a... Well, not, moment, not momentum, but they didn't. Ha they 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 would have that, and um, it's. I guess it's not the same, but okay. Regardless, but uh, sometimes it's this local feud, you know. Just oh, I don't want to say domestic, but uh, your favorite matchup will last forever, you know. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, the D Detroit, Boba Brazil, Sheik, it worked Sheik, yeah. forever. For a very yeah. long time. In Florida, you know, there's like a Eddie Graham against Great Malenko, you know, Malenko's father. Mm. They did that for years and years of it. Yeah. Well, in the same way, Antonio Inoki against Taiga Jit Singh, they did that yes. for 15 years, all year long. Well, Giant Baba and Abdul the Butcher, same, almost same content, same kind of match, but they did over and over and over and over. But this Riki Choshu against Fujinami, they, the matches were always good. Yeah. Then were, there's... Uh, okay, go ahead. Oh, no, no I was just going to... I'm listening. No, they were... I was just going to say they're very... Those matches, especially the first three, I think, early on were so... Mm -hmm. uh, like, what's it? Like, high... There's, like, high tension to everything. It's really high intensity, kind of, like, uh, dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the one championship was at stake, WWF international title. There was such thing then. Mm -hmm. uh, Fujinami came into Madison Square Garden as heavyweight in summer of 82 and beat wrestler Gino Brito and to become WWF international champion and then brought the belt home. Then Ricky Choshu beat Fujinami to become WWF international champion in Japan. They exchanged that in a little bit. But the title itself, the, the, the championship belt itself, wasn't all that important. The match itself, Ricky Choshu against Fujinami, was very, very important. Then after, um, after Ricky Choshu and his guys left you know, for two years, joined All Japan as a Japan Pro Wrestling, and they, they, they did their program there, and the Fujinami... Uh, was still was New Japan, right? Then FM, uh, the UWF guys came back. You know, Maeda, the Takada, the Fujiwara, the Yamazaki, the Kido. The, then there was a program, you know, there was a historical match in 85 that uh, Akira Maeda against Fujinami match, double knockout. You know, with this Maeda spin kick that uh, Fujinami cut his forehead and bleed, you know? What was the background on that? What was the background on that story? Well, the Fujinami was there to take UWF guys, you know, because Fujinami himself is Korgach's student too. But the the whole idea of UWF was to change professional wrestling and make it into legitimate contest. That was the whole theme of it. And 
80s fan really believed in UWF. Maeda Akira, that Akira Maeda and Nobuhiko Takara, those guys don't bounce off ropes. They don't do anything silly. And they don't do like a high drop kick or anything like that. They never fight outside the ring. They never do anything but wrestling. It's what Korogachi wanted. And uh, Fujinami was there to take it. You know what I'm saying? That the, you need opponent, right? Then there was a match like Inoki against Fujiwara, but Inoki ended up beating Fujiwara. But the, Fuji, uh, the, the Fujinami against Maeda, Fujinami was there to take it. You know, like, uh, do this for me. Kind, kind of like, he just observed. Yeah. And uh, the made made very sincere baby face once again. Fujinami was yeah. So he was uh, after Ricky Choshu. Yeah, he was there to have a single match against Maeda. And uh, yeah, Fujinami was always there. In the meantime, around '85, it was Inoki against Brody time, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Inoki took you know. Bruiser Brody came in from all Japan, and it was a sensational news. And uh, Inoki against Bruiser Brody, they did like six, seven single matches in one year period. Not one finish, you know what I'm saying? Of it's course. Like... <laughs> that was the style, both in time, New Japan and, and all Japan. Yeah, I was there to watch it. The match was good, 20 minutes, and great match content, but the, they never gave clean finish then. I mean, do you think or the double count out or, you know, one get DQ, Inoki get DQ, or Brody get DQ, or double count out, or just uh, no contest, or just, it was just, they never gave the conclusion. Yeah. Which do you they, think if the booking was different back then, would it have had any effect on how popular the wrestling was? I don't know. People always wanted to have the conclusion or clean finish. But, but they almost never it. got it until the nineties, right? Until right. Misawa and and or or the Three Musketeers. Yeah, I mean, it would be until yeah, in the early nineties when you get more definitive finishes more often. Yeah, when big... when Inoki left the company to be to be the politician, and Ricky Choshi became the booker and the locker room leader, and stepped down from main event position, and he was you know Ricky Choshi was was a booker and the boss in, you know in the dressing room so uh, the keiji muto that the shinya hashimoto that the masa chono they were all 10 you know 12 years younger than riki choshu and uh just became like uh, riki choshu became like a general you know sergeant uh, mm-hmm. that uh, in the dressing room was like uh, the baseball manager or football coach type that he could tell wrestlers you know you all have finish mm. You would think that the, when Inoki left, you know, to be the politician, he would no longer travel with wrestlers. You would think, you know, that the booker position would be given to Fujinami, right? Right. But, but uh, what was... Inoki apparently gave the position to Riki Choshu instead. Now, was Fujinami ever really uh, focused on... Uh office positions or or, or like uh management oh, the positions later on, he became you know the president of new japan pro wrestling between 1999 and 2004 so for the five-year period he was a president of the company but the locker room booking position like a booker booker mm. that uh, it was it was given to riki choshu by inoki when he left and it was not given to fujinami but i believe it was like more like a 
Ricky Choshi was like a college jock fraternity house type that the, you can make guys shut up. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Where, whereas Fujinami is like, he's like an athlete and uh, his own man and doesn't really command or, you know, he, but the, for the Booker type, that the Ricky Choshu would be more likely your college, you know, dressing room, you know, locker room leader type, more more so than Fujinami. Fujinami is a wrestler's wrestler, and he does not bother other people. You know what I'm saying? I think Choshu is more assertive. I think. Yeah, yeah. And Fujinami is more. Tell what not to do. Fujinami is more go with the flow. And he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. I, and I think both. You know, you, you can be successful uh, having both philosophies, but it's a personality trait, right? It's um. Yeah, I think so. And I, to me, I, I feel I'm just. I, I don't know the statistic, but I feel like Fujinami was he stayed an active wrestler for longer than Choshu. Choshu sort of stepped out of the spotlight and wasn't um, you know, a, a seriously active wrestler for as long as Fujinami uh, uh, was. Yeah, after after mid-90s, right? Yeah, mid-90s right. and into the 2000s. Right. It was, uh, Fujinami stayed relatively active until until the presidency, the New, New right, Japan right. part, but um, I don't know. Yeah, but the, before this Inoki leaving for the poli, you know, like a public office, there, we cannot forget this 1988 October, uh, the, the August 8th, it's like 8888, 1988 August 8th. IWGP champion Fujinami and challenger Antonio Inoki in Yokohama. This was a big, this was the next chapter. This is where I kind of look at Fujinami's career after yeah, finally, the heavyweight. Yeah, like a bloom as a heavyweight. Uh, there was like a dragon Fujinami revolution that he challenged, finally challenged Inoki. Mm, it had you been know, about 10 years. It felt realistic. I felt like and, the right time. And uh, locker room, you know, confrontation, which was videotaped, you know. And uh, he basically, Fujinami left, you know, country. And first he went to Portland and beat Grappler to become um, Pacific Northwest champion, if you remember. Then he brought in Kerry Von Eric in 1988. He beat Kerry Von Eric in Tokyo. Uh, Korakuen Hall to become world class world heavyweight champion. He has to start collecting belts. You know what I'm saying? And he he was also UWA cha- heavyweight champion in Mexico too. And at, uh, a little bit later on '91, there was a unification match: IWGP champion Fujinami against N- then NWA world champion Ric Flair at the Tokyo Dome in Japan. Fujinami beat Flair to become double champion. That was a lot of um, Americans' introduction to Fujinami. Fujinami, right, right. Be- well, there's the Which, first original yeah, era at MSG. It wasn't exactly but... like his prime time physically, though. No, that's the thing. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, he had his first moments in Madison Square Garden, but that was young diff- Fujinami when he was 24. But that was so uh, good. But it was hard to. It was hard for the whole world to see that. A, a big portion of the states got to see it, but. Wrestling on TV in the 70s, it was more regional still. Sure, sure. Uh, cable wasn't as prevalent. Like, and, no, not till 80s. And in, after during... that, that's when Fujinami got and the Fujinami chance. And Fujinami was in Japan pretty much full-time in his prime yeah. time. 
But yeah. um, I I remember the the special show with him and Flair very clearly. Right, right. Because it was like a Tokyo Dome era, yeah. not the small palace, but it's like a big show being held at the Tokyo Dome, you know, like a stadium size show. Felt like a big pay per view era. Yeah, a lot of yeah. WCW wrestlers on it on the yeah, same card. Yeah, Starcade in Tokyo. Yeah, that uh, that had a famously confusing finish. Right, right. And in Japan, Fujinami beat Flair and wore the belt. In American TV. That uh, they got the belt back because there was an over the top rope DQ right before the finish. And the wrong referee counted. You know, one of the, uh, what's his referee's name? The later on ECW manager. Uh, Bill Alfonso. Alfonso, you know, saw the over the top rope DQ, but instead, uh, the, the Tiger Hattori came in and pinned that uh, counted the three for Fujinami's pinfall. Hmm. Yeah, so this is like a all creative. <laughs> yeah, very very creative finish, I yes. should say. But uh, so in Japan at the building, people left Tokyo Dome thinking that Fujinami conquered the world. Mm. Yeah. How but long yeah. did that last? Uh, and then there was a talk that he did go to uh, Florida, you know, that the, uh, for next pay per view like a Super Brawl. And uh, in Japan, it was called, you know, that the rematch from Tokyo Dome. But uh, in America, you know, WCW pay-per-view Super Bowl, it was Ric Flair's title defense against Fujinami. Mm. Presented differently. Oh, well, yeah. But uh, Fujinami, you know, going to Florida all by himself and had a single match against Flair one more time, it was good. You know, because Fujinami wasn't working WCW, was a, a clearly outsider, but the, he had a main event position in WCW pay-per-view situation that they don't do that that much, right? Usually WCW pay-per-view means like you have, what, the Lex Luger or somebody, right? Sure. Or Sting. Sting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the, all of a sudden, yeah, uh, all of a sudden Fujinami from Japan challenging Ric Flair for the main event. Very special occasion. Mm. Yeah. It was big. Yeah, I think so. But the, let's rewind a couple of years because we were talking about Antonio Inoki. Right, uh, right. Final final single match against Fujinami. And this time, Fujinami, IWGP champion, and Inoki was a challenger. Yeah. And they did the uh, 60-minute uh, Broadway. What was funny was, though, see, Inoki let Ricky Choshi beat him one to three in the middle of the ring. Three different occasions. You know, but you would think Fujinami would beat Finally beat Inoki this time, right? Hmm. But the, what they did was 60-minute Broadway. Wasn't it uh, really hot that day, too, in Yokohama? Yeah. I guess yeah. Was that, yeah. I mean... I was there, though, in the building. Yeah. What do you remember about it? Well, see, when you have 60-minute, you know, you know, time, you know, draw match, you could tell, like, a 20-minute in, they're going to hmm. do this 60-minute, right? You feel it. But... Don't you, don't you think? Because they, yeah. they build the match so slow that, ah, they're going to go 16 minutes, right? But, mm. but, but this time, they were doing a really tight wrestling match that uh, it's like, wow, it's 30 minutes already? Kind of thing. So mm -hmm. 40 minutes in, you could almost tell it's it's going to be prob probably 60 minutes. But then again, sometimes they do 45 minute or 50 minute, you know, pinfall thing too. So it's like, I couldn't tell. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but they, what was funny was that uh, if Fujinami will ever beat Inoki in single match situation, that must have been it, right? It was it was supposed to be the moment. I think a lot of people expected yeah. that was going to be the time. That was it. Yeah. Time was right. So there's a lot of interpretation. In, Fujinami didn't want to beat Inoki. Hmm. You know? But it was like, uh, after the match, almost didn't matter because this tired Inoki grabbed the championship belt, walked slowly to Fujinami, and giving the belt back to Fujinami, right? Hmm. That, put, that was put it. Put the belt around his waist. Thank you very much. It's like, so the the torch was passed. The torch was passed. Everybody saw it, but Inoki gets to keep his record clean. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, having a 60-minute match against you know Inoki is more than uh, beating him with clothesline. No, well, it says a lot about Fujinami's character. It says he yeah. can hang with the the champ yeah. for at least 60 he minutes. Did, he did pin Inoki one occasion. It was December of 1985, the night Bruiser Brody left the company. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's you right. Know, he, that was a tag, he, he yeah, stepped tag in. Tag team final. Yeah, t tag team final. That uh, this is uh, some argument with you know front office staff that uh, they you know Brody and Snuka was on on the bullet train going to Sendai. And then something happened, and he got off the, uh, the train and took another train back to Tokyo and changed hotel and left Japan mm. without getting paid. That was it. But the main event was, you know, going to be Inoki Sakaguchi tag team against the tournament final, Brody and Snuka, right? Mm. Then Brody and Snuka left, so they put uh, Fujinami and Kengo Kimura, the third place, you know, tag team as a final. Inoki Sakaguchi against Fujinami, Kengo Kimura. Now, that was a match Fujinami pinned Inoki with Dragon Suplex, one, two, three. That was a big one. That was the first big uh, win in the match. Yeah, and almost everybody forgot what happened with Brody that night. Hmm. Very Good timing. Looking. Yeah, yeah. But that was the only occasion. That the 1988, August 8th, uh, IWGP Championship match, champion Fujinami against Antonio Inoki Challenger, that was 60-minute broad, you know, Broadway, which was just as good as beating Inoki, is in my book, yeah. So from, from that point... Because it's a match they've talked about to this date. Hmm. Would you that might would you say it's his most famous match, Fujinami? Fujinami's match, yeah, because uh, Fujinami himself talk about it because hmm. he he occupied Antonio Inoki or four sixty minutes all to himself. It was a happy moment. I mean, don't let anybody touch him. It's like a, I had Inoki for one hour all to himself. It's hmm. like a, wow. So that's how Fujinami looks at it. And from that point, it was kind of soon after that that. Inoki would retire and retire, but didn't slash retire, but the move into yeah, like, uh, politics. Politics and come back to maybe once or twice a year for a Tokyo Dome situation and have mm. a very special single match, but not really full time ever again. Yeah. Mm. Then F Fujinami hurt his you know back you know during Vader match in June of nineties and eighty nine following year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a herniated disc in his lower back, 
and it was a Vader's match. And he took a year off, you know, 89 to summer of 90. Like a, he was gone for the whole year. Yeah. But that's when Muto and Chono and Hashimoto really became main event. That's interesting, you know? Hmm. The uh, older generation was kind of out of the way. Out of the way, a little bit. And plus, Kensuke Sasaki and Hiroshi Hase was, hmm. you know, Ricky Choshu guy. So he was right, right under, you know, not underneath, but like a fourth guy and fifth guy. It's like a five top guys. Yeah, they were uh, like the fourth and fifth musketeers. Sort of, yeah. But uh, they look main event, you know. So Ricky Choshu didn't put himself in main event position again. Yeah. Hmm. Then Fujinami came back and you know, 91, and there was a Ric Flair match at the Tokyo Dome we just talked about. And uh, he didn't retire, you know, and then uh, all in all, um, Fujinami ended up having fifth reign, you know, like a five-time IWGP champion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't quite have a full-time schedule uh, again, but, uh, you know, he was a president of New Japan Pro Wrestling between 99 to 2004. Then he uh, resigned, and, and, and uh, then he formed a new company called Muga World Pro Wrestling. Mm. Muga, Muga means selflessness. <laughs> is mm. that interesting? Mm. Well, so Muga is a Zen, Zen term, you know? Like a, you know, Zen Buddhism, mm-hmm. Muga, Muga World Champ, uh, the, the pro wrestling, Muga selflessness. Interesting. Then they switched name to Tradition, 2008 on. Mm. The, that's the company he still runs, like Fujinami Office. And that's run by his son, who's also a wrestler, the Leona. Yeah, 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 Leona. Yeah, they had, they just had fujinami's 50th year anniversary show and he wanted to have a single match and you know hiroshi tanahashi wanted to have a single match with fujinami yeah and uh... he did oh okay also yeah before forget yeah dragon suplex the four nelson you know suplex hall much like german suplex but the four nelson one it was introduced by fujinami right mm-hmm. and tope was introduced by fujinami and one more move that the leg sweep, like a dragon screw, that the Fujin, uh, that the little, little bit later on, Muto brought in and then did the, do the leg sweep and do the figure for leg lock. That that move. Hmm. Dragon, dragon screw, leg screw. Whip. Yeah, leg whip. Uh, that was also introduced by Fujinami. Hmm. So uh, he's the father of dragon suplex. He's the father of tope dragon rocket. He was the the father of leg sweep dragon screw. Yeah. So he, he really introduced as an originator, yeah. Very important. Very uh, and dra- uh, a little bit there on dragon sleeper hold. Yep, all the, all the yeah. dragon centric offensive <laughs> moves. And also the, the one handed backbreaker thing right before the dragon sleeper, mm. like Billy Robinson's backbreaker. Sure. But they call it dragon backbreaker. Um, Move, yeah, moves are all original for him. Yeah. I think he might have had one of Vader's last matches, or I think Vader wrestled yes. on. Yeah, on the tradition show. show. Yeah, after he was like losing it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Vader, yeah, Vader was brought in because you know Vader and Fujinami became friends over the years, and uh, I interviewed Vader that you know during his very last tour, and he was calling him Tatsumi, like a first name. 
Oh my wow. gosh, like, I never heard anybody call Fujinami with his first name, you know? Well, I, I, I don't know. It's, I think maybe just a foreign guy thing. Yeah, but uh, Yo Tatsumi, you know, the yeah, friends. Probably, uh, yeah. yeah, a little shocking to hear at first. From Leon White, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, during that tour, you know, the, he all, 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 already had this, you know, um, dementia thing that the, he didn't know when he woke up, he was in Japan, you know? Mm. Yeah. But the, he was able to have a match, not single match situation anymore, but the six, you know, six man tag team situation. Beta was in it. They brought in Ricky Choshu you know, to mm. work, you know, six, right. six man tag team. It's all senior, but the, yes, that the Beta wanted to have his final match in Japan. That was in Fujinami's ring. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah. And they did have a great match, though, like in 91, 92, you know, when Vader was IWGP champion and Fujinami finally get the, his, you know, title back from Vader. And it was a really good match. I was there in Hiroshima. Yeah. Hmm. Vader grew superstar in Japan. You know, when he was brought in back in 1987 as a mystery opponent of Inoki, he was rather green, right? Hmm. But working full-time schedule with New Japan, quickly, within two years or so, he became one of the you know biggest, great worker, big giant wrestler. Hmm. Yeah. For years after. Yeah. And uh, Fujinami was always his you know favorite opponent. Hmm. Vader told me in person that the, uh, Fujinami and I can do it like uh, we can, you know, we're dancing. They have good chemistry, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, they apparently didn't even call you know call match that much. It's they didn't do it and call each other in the ring, you know, like just just kind of improvised. Yeah, like uh, doing things almost intuitively. Mm. Yeah, so that's wrestlers' chemistry, right? Mm. So Fujinami was best opponent of Ricky Choshu. Fujinami was best opponent of Vader. And he was great opponent for Anthony Noki's matches, not just once, but so many times. Yeah. yeah. Fujinami was there to make other wrestlers superstars all through his career. If you remember Fujinami against like, Keiji Muto, like a second, a first year G1, G1 tournament? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That it took Keiji, young, younger Keiji Muto three cradles to pin Fujinami. He was still uh, still on top uh, and still one of those hard to pin dudes. Yeah, in the yeah. early nineties, he did. He had a, a short little thing with Tenru, didn't he? Around that time as well. After uh, Tenru's WAR office pretty much closed down, and uh, Tenru. Uh, became like outsider and 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 uh, you know taking dates from New Japan's big shows. Yeah, mm -hmm. one at a time. Tenru against Inoki, Tenru against uh, Choshu, then Tenru against Fujinami because they never met. Yeah, mm. dream match. Yeah, dream matchup. Yeah, all all through the years. So Fujinami is that kind of wrestler, you know, star on his own, but uh, he shined other superstars. And uh, even even today, I mean, he was up to today. He's been wrestling all over, not just tradition. The, the you see him in all Japan. You see him in New Japan special occasions. 
on the Indies. Special occasion. And uh, of course, 68-year-old Fujinami doesn't do much. He just come in and then does his thing and leg sweep and does a sleeper hold, mm. uh, traditional sleeper hold into Dragon sleeper hold. And uh, he wrestles on the mat, a very minimum move, but uh, he still somewhat looked like Fujinami. Yes. Yeah. He uh, he recently I saw him on uh, NHK performing uh, <laughs> his, his that the Macho Dragon singing thing. Yes, the yeah. Macho Dragon, his his old single. I suppose. What's, yeah, what's the story yeah. with Macho Dragon? I guess if people uh, that aren't was actually his it was you know, not a hit, but the uh, the single song that he recorded in eighties. But the NHK brought in like you know one hit wonder show. That you bring in him and let him have him sing the same song, you know, thirty years later. Yeah, that same was uh, maybe over the summer. Yeah, over this summer. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Uh, it was interesting. You know, people watched it. You know. Yeah, uh, it's so in celebration of public, his. It was like a Fujinami's outside the wrestling, but they like a one. He had a one-hit wonder too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they did play that music at, at the building, you know, last week, though, Fujinami's 50th anniversary show. Oh, nice. Yeah, with his, you know, the, the famous pink jacket, yeah. He had the famous pink, kind of like a bomber jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the headband. But this time, yeah, this time he did you know, this 50th anniversary show this last week. Fujinami was wearing something like Inoki would wear, the kimono gown. Mm, mm. Yeah. And he did come in, come out with the Inokibomaya music too. So mm. they played all the historical his theme music from eight, you know, first Dragon Suplex music to uh, Macho Dragon music to early ninety music to the recent music to Inoki's music. Like they they mixed the you know entrance music and uh, it was like a yeah. It was interesting just to hear the entrance music and brought in, uh, you know, Hide Tanaka ring announcer, old ring announcer from New Japan days, and had him, you know, called, you know, in the ring. And, and uh, also, yeah, because they 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 brought in Kitazawa, they brought in Chono, uh, the Fujiwara, Choshu, and Muto in the ring to celebrate it. Mm. Yeah, it was like a, so um, a high school reunion. Yeah, like alumni. Yeah. So New Japan's just 50, you know, history was right there. It's just like a very happy moment. Yeah, current New Japan is really big and huge. But the New Japan's, you know, older fans would always think about, you know, when you think, say, New Japan, it's like, of course, Inoki or Sakaguchi or, you know, of course, Fujinami Choshu, Fujiwara, the, then, then Muto and Chono. The Hashimoto is not with us anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's just the history is there. Yeah. yeah, he was a big part, and he was, he was a connecting part because, like we said, he never, never really, he hasn't retired. Uh, he's been there since, right? And, and he's been there before. Beginning of yeah, yeah. Before the whole and, Three Musketeers generation, and and still there. Yeah, the twenty, the Fujinami in twenties, Fujinami in thirties, Fujinami in his forties, Fujinami in his fifties. Now he's what sixty-eight. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know, just yeah. wrestled uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi last week. You would think, yeah, no. yeah, single match against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Of course, he loses with his high five flow, but uh, of course, it's just his athlete. But uh, he, he didn't look all that bad. No, it, it's uh, you don't feel um, like you're watching the Ric Flair retirement. It's a little more ah, yeah, dangerous. Let's go there, yeah. 
It was a. Uh, it's. I feel more comfortable or more safe watching Fujinami in this condition. And also, he doesn't wear a t-shirt in the ring. No, he looks good. I mean, for sixty-eight, geez. Yeah. yeah. I, I think many uh, males would like to look like that when they're sixty-eight. Yeah, and he'll turn sixty-nine like in a couple weeks. Amazing. Oh my gosh, I, I, he was only 24 when he came back from Madison Square Garden. So it's like, I've been watching him over 40 years. Oh my gosh. He's going to have debuted before Keiji Muto and will retire after Keiji Muto. After Keiji Muto. His whole right, career. Right. Yeah, yeah. So he's like that. Yeah. Who can you compare him to in, like, in America? Much like Ric Flair, but... Uh, Oh, yeah. it, I, it's tough because there, I, can't, I can't immediately think of somebody that was first off a junior heavyweight and kind of, kind of switched the perception that's right, that's right, that's right, that's of right. his character, and he became a, a more heavyweight, uh, you know, big-time champion. And, and the wrestler against, you know, American superstars and wrestlers against Japanese superstars, mm -hmm. you know? They had, he, Fujinami had all kinds of different matches, Yeah. I mean, I think it's easiest to compare him to Inoki, but he's really, he's also not like Inoki. Right. Maybe like a, a mix of Inoki and uh, a Billy Robinson. Yeah, and a little bit of Karagacha, of course. Yeah, and he, he did wear the uh, the black boots with the white socks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not, no, nothing right, no, no, no writing on, on the back. Yeah. Mm. Just plain black trunks, always. Not even the knee, knee pads. Yeah, it's hard to... Uh, I don't know if he has any peers or, or people to compare him to. Even his peers like Ricky Choshu were actually so different from him. Yeah, and Ricky Choshu made, you know, made sure that the, his boots is always white. White boots. Hmm. Yeah, always. Different than Fujinami. Right. Black trunks, though. And Ricky Choshu became stuck with his long hair, too, you know? That's right. Yeah. Fujinami's hair was always short, clean cut. Yeah. Yeah, Fujinami's still going. Yeah. And if, I okay. Think if people want to I watch that... I think we that, covered, uh... yeah, it's like we just, you know, was just was talking, and just go back and forth. It's like, it was all 70s stories into 80s and all of a sudden 90s, but we went back to 80s and now 2000s and all of a sudden 2022, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's, I don't think it was possible to, you know, go go through Fujinami's all 50 years career in one hour podcast. But <laughs> I just wanted to give this feeling that uh, we watched him. Yeah. Yeah, and that he's still there. Yeah. So let's enjoy him while he uh, while he's still with us. Not like he's and going anywhere. Other, yeah, no. And also type the type of wrestler that the, you go back to New Japan World, you know, streaming service and watch his match from the 80s. And you can study. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Toshu matches, the matches with Dynamite Kid and Chavo Guerrero, Estrada. And also, uh, yeah, Fujiwara, I mean, Fujinami against Bob Backlund a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, or him versus the young UWF guys and like Takara oh, yeah. and Maeda. Especially Maeda, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think what made him special is how he never really had to change anything about himself. The situation would be so Yeah, and had a different, different type of opponent and still had Fujinami match. And he always had a... a interesting authentic uh charismatic reaction to 
what he was doing selling. in the ring, yeah. to selling, yeah. to, to getting into it. It's, it's That's one of the fun parts of watching Fujinami was to see how into it he would mm-hmm. get. He's a fired up, he's a fired up dude. He's a fired up, <laughs> like Inoki, that same kind of uh, energy. You know what I mean? And very interesting to be babyface only for 50 years. But when you watch him for a long time, you, you, you couldn't think of him as anything else. Right. Like, well, well, most wrestlers go back and forth, you know? And, uh, yeah. You know, he's consistent. He's like a, maybe like a John Cena in some probably, ways. Probably, probably, yeah. That might sound John crazy Cena to some. John Cena had Danny John, yeah. yeah, very similar. Not, to not about position. Not, not a, a, a comparison in, in a, to the wrestling skill or anything like that. But what they represent, or, or yeah, consistency, the yeah. consistency, and um, the I guess like l- people are extra loyal to these wrestlers and the really. connection, connection, yeah. like a non-verbal connection, with very live deep crowd. connection. Yeah. He, it, I yeah, think f- audience actually maybe uh, uh, Tanahashi might be the best comparison. Sure, but uh, Tanahashi has flashy costume. That's uh, <laughs> Tanahashi has. Uh, there's a comparison of uh, the basic, uh, the fundamentals are similar, but Tanahashi has his own, not only his own career but his own flavor that he added of to course, his and, persona. And he's a cool, cool looking guy, superstar look, gray hair dude. He's like a rock and roll guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the air guitar. But the Fujinami was always bread and butter. Basic bread and butter guy. And uh, he might be the last one, huh? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, to be that. Yeah, it's like... uh, Is Fujiwara still active? Yeah, he's... he's, In fact, tonight I'm going to Fujiwara's 50th anniversary show. Wow, is that a core run by Run by Satoru Sayama, original Tiger Mask. Oh. And also... Toy Ishikawa's 30th anniversary show. Who's scheduled to be on that show? Um, wow. A lot of the different, uh, the, the, those are the names, but the, the, the original Tiger Mask's got, you know, strong style pro wrestling guys and the Tiger Queen, you know, the female Tiger oh, Mask. Oh, is this the tradition show? Uh, it's not a tradition. Or, or, um... uh, no, the Tiger Mask strong, one. Yeah, strong, strong style, style pro wrestling. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Tonight, I'm going there tonight. Yeah. Re- sometimes it's called real, like a real pro wrestling. Uh, they they changed it. Right, real, right. real Japan. Real Japan. But they that's they right. switched the company structure and they renamed the recently renamed the company S. Strong style. Strong style. SSPW. Yes. Strong style pro wrestling run by Satoshi Sayama, the original Tiger Mask. That's right. I see. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. So uh, it's a different kind of flavor. It's like almost like a early seventies New Japan type of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With some of the yeah. uh, some of the wrestlers from that era in the building with you. Yeah, I think so. And who's seven? You know, like a seventy-six year old who's you are to still be still be doing the submissions and headbutts. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all. That's all everybody wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting, huh? Because mm. Fuji, you know, the submission master Fujiwara's you know debut opponent was Fujinami. Mm. Yeah, and he did he did factor in, old. yeah. And when we talk about Choshu, Choshu and Fujiwara had their own relationship too, and the sure, he's sure. he's a part of that early '80s um, breakout in early New Japan. Yeah, for sure. Yep. 
We'll probably have to do and an they, episode on him someday. Ahujiwara, of course. Mm. Well, let's do that. Yeah. And also, uh, what they have, they all have in common, one time or another, Fujiwara, Fujinami, Riki Choshu, they all carried the Inoki suitcase for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's Riki Dozan tradition. And all connected in some different ways, but to Carl Gotch. Yes, yes, definitely. So it's, it's more interesting if you dig through these, you know, the, the relationships and how they turned out. Yeah. Hmm. I think so. Influences. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's wrap it right there. That's Tetsu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's if good. Any, anybody want to so. know anything, um, uh, if anybody have more questions on you know, Fujinami's career or anything, we'll answer these questions. The next next week will be Ricky Dawson's memorial. So we'll, let's do the Ricky Dawson episode. That'll be that'll be very good. And uh, part one of we'll probably do two of those on on Ricky yeah, Dawson. Yeah. But uh, holiday people, holiday special. Holiday special. That's right. Yeah. If people want to ask questions about Tatsumi Fujinami or anything else, where can they? Or oh, anything you? on Japanese wrestling. Yeah. yeah. Where can we at, reach you? Uh, uh, on Twitter at Fumihiko Dayo, F U M I H I K O D A Y O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumisaito on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K N I P P E R. You can reach us there, ask questions, and I guess until next week, Fumi, take it away. So long from Tokyo. Bye.